Welcome to the Dig In Travel Podcast, where travel and other digital professionals level up their marketing skills by listening to the top industry experts. And now here's your host, Istok Franco, founder of DigInTravel.com, your number one resource for travel, digital, e-commerce, and marketing. Hi, this is Istok, and you're listening to episode 10 of the Dig In Travel Podcast. I started with this podcast a few months ago and we had some great guests on our show so far. But for our first milestone, the 10th episode, I wanted to do something different. We decided to do a Q&A format and talk about the questions you, so the airline industry professionals, are asking yourselves right now. Together with my friend and fellow airline analyst, Henry Hertewelt, I reach out to you on social media, so on LinkedIn and Twitter, and ask you to tell us what you really want to hear about. And we were really pleasantly surprised to get so many questions from you, so from our Digging Trail community. You asked us about airline industry outlook, how recovery will happen, how soon, changes in passenger behavior, blocking the middle seat and cellular revenue, trends of direct distribution, what will happen with investment in digital. So all great and really relevant topics. Henry has more than 20 years of experience as analyst and consultant, so he shared some really great insights during our talk. Now I'm really curious to hear from you how you like this Q&A format with Henry, so please let me know if your feedback will be good, we can do this on a regular basis going forward. Before we start, just one special reminder, our new 2020 Airline Digital Optimization Yearbook will be published in the next week. It will be the most comprehensive, the biggest airline digital research published in 2020. Almost 100 pages of airline digital benchmarks, interviews with experts, and it will have a special post-COVID digital tips section for each chapter. If you follow my newsletter or my LinkedIn feed, you'll be the first to hear when it's published, so stay tuned. Now, please enjoy our talk with Henry. Hi, Henry, and welcome to the Digging Trail podcast. Hi, Doc. Thanks for inviting me. It's great to talk to you after a long time. This was long overdue, and I'm really excited about this setup, the Q&A setup. So we got a lot of tons of very interesting questions from various airline and other people. But maybe before we dig into Q&A session, you're an airline analyst and doing research for more than 20 years, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. So I want to ask you if you experienced anything like this because the situation like current, because I think obviously we didn't, but is there anything at all maybe we can learn from past crisis that is useful now? Sure, Yastok. That's a, that's a good question. No, none of us have ever been through anything like this. Uh, what is, I mean, uh, what we're, what we are going through with this COVID crisis is global. Uh, it is, it is truly universal and it's nothing that is the fault of the airline industry or any industry for that matter. I think what we're going to learn from this is that we have to be far more agile uh, and we have to prepare for the unknown in ways that we perhaps never anticipated. Uh, airlines certainly had their plans in place for what would happen if, say, there was a terrorist attack or an economic slowdown or recession uh, or labor issues or even a regionalized health crisis. But we've never had anything quite like a global pandemic that has stopped the entire world in its tracks. And I think that is something that is going to have to be addressed um, as part of future planning. I think also one thing we're learning is that no matter what airlines do from a financial standpoint, uh, they will need to rethink how much money they keep in terms of cash or short-term fairly liquid uh, investments, and that they will have to be more nimble in terms of perhaps their fleet planning uh, and what their route networks will look like. Uh, there is no question in my mind we will recover. Uh, we like to travel as people. W business is global. Um, Zoom and sessions and webinars are great, but nothing beats face-to-face. -face. True. So my expectation is that travel is going to be back, but the unknown is when. And that's a function of science. When will we get vaccines? When will we, people get 
vaccinated? Um, uh, how do we, you know, keep this virus from resurrecting itself and affecting so many people in the future? So, you know, I think that's that's it's really science is the captain of this recovery, and, you know, which is interesting. It, we've never ever been so out of control, if you will, of our own economic destiny before. And it's like I posted this uh, on LinkedIn last week. Mm -hmm. I agree with you that a lot of it's uh, science and also global regulations and uh, like uh, opening on the borders, uh, traveling restrictions, yep. much more will uh, will depend, will much more depend on that than on, let's say, changing customer behavior. I agree with you that we all like to travel and I think uh, people will want to travel and meet people face to face. So uh, that's uh, definitely something I, I can agree with. Maybe before we start with the first question and uh, from our listeners and we will start on top with industry outlook, high level outlook. Mm -hmm. You do a weekly survey among travel managers and travel businesses like airlines and hotels, right? Uh, we are doing weekly surveys with uh, airlines uh, and hotels, uh, asking them about their uh, reservation volume. We're just simply asking them to rate their weekly uh, transaction reservation transaction volume on a scale of zero through 10, where 10 equals normal. You know, we started this on March 23rd. Uh, and the uh, participants have grown uh, on a global basis. Uh, we now have, uh, I think it's something like 75 airlines and hotels that are participating. And they are, again, worldwide. I think what's important to recognize is that this crisis began in January and different parts of the world began to see slowdowns before we started to get into starting our research But the first week that we did this, the week of March 23rd, which is pretty much when most of the world had begun to lock down or was already locked down, uh, airlines rated it zero, their transaction volume at 0.9 and hotels were at 1.1. Remember, this is out of 10. Yeah. Uh, it bottomed at 0.6 for airlines and 0.5 for hotels in uh, the first half of April. We began to see an uptick, a very modest uptick after that. And the most recent, the week of May 11th, airlines were at 1.7 and hotels at 1.5. On a scale of 1 to 10. On yeah. a scale of 0 through 10. Yeah. Okay. Now, you know, compared to 0.6 for airlines, 1.7 looks great. But when you look at, at that against a 10, it's terrible. Today, we heard from on a call that Wolf Research uh, had with different airlines at its transportation virtual conference. Paul Jacobson from Delta Airlines said that they've started to see modest increase and that their bookings are now exceeding cancellations. United Airlines also said something similar uh, uh, on the call. Uh, so I think we are starting to see volume return. We're starting to see more countries reopen in part or in full. We're starting to see the emergence of travel corridors exist between certain countries, but this recovery is going to be a very patchwork and very, therefore very uneven recovery. We think that it is a two to three year timeline. Uh, and I think at this point, it's closer to three years than two. Although if a vaccine is, is developed and approved uh, sooner than expected, then the timeline will be shorter. But um, I think that realistically, the industry needs to expect a two to three year recovery timeline. As I'm hearing the executives talk about it, that's what they are saying. Uh, so that's good news. This is similar to what IATA projected, I think, in the latest, so that they expect recovery to 100% of volumes from 2019, somewhere between 222 and 223. Right. So that's good. I mean, you know, because uh, at some point, we at one point we were hearing it could be as long as five years. So I yeah. think we are starting to get a little more hopeful. Um, we uh, have been doing a monthly survey uh, uh, with U.S. and internationally based uh, travel managers, corporate travel managers at both for-profit and not-for-profit organizations. These are companies that spend the equivalent of $5 million U.S. or more on air uh, each year. And what's interesting is that uh, the U.S. tends to have a more optimistic point of view than the uh, firms based outside the U.S., We've been asking them about their what they expect with travel activity and travel spend. The non-U.S.-based uh, travel managers are far more likely to expect to be cutting 
their, both their activity and their budget than American-based travel managers. Right now, one in four uh, travel managers in the U.S. expects to cut their travel activity. 27% say they expect to cut their budget in the next year versus 35% of travel managers outside the U.S. saying they will cut back on their travel activity. Uh, and uh, same number uh, anticipate cutting uh, their budgets in the next year. The truth is, though, that an awful lot of these travel managers are admitting that there's just enormous uncertainty. So in May, 22% of the U.S. travel managers and 30% of the uh, non-U.S. Uh, travel managers said they're unsure what will happen with their travel activity in the next year. Uh, and 22% of U.S. travel managers and 32% of the uh, internationally based travel managers said that they are unsure what will happen with their travel budgets in the next year. You know, again, they are unsure about the state of their economies, the economies where they they are doing business, duty of care responsibilities, which here on, on the removal of travel restrictions the ability for their employees to get where they need to go and importantly, get back, be, be safe, not only physically safe, but health, health, you know, safe from a health standpoint. You know, there, there's no, anyone who says, oh, I know for sure what's going to happen doesn't really know for sure. None of us do. True. But I think the data and the trends that you share give us a good indication of at least what's happening and how things are evolving. Mm -hmm. And I think with uh, your answer, we already answered the first question from one of our listeners and from our audience, from Geoff Saltgate, who is senior consultant at Hospitio, who asked, okay, how long this will take to recover? One other, one other question he posed, which aspect of travel do you think will require qu uh, quicker, leisure or business? Leisure. Leisure is discretionary and it's, it's our money that we choose to spend. The, our, uh, you know, companies or, or not-for-profits too, uh, any, any employer has to be very prudent about when they allow their employees to resume traveling. Not only is it a function of budget, but it's the concept of duty of care. The responsibility that the employer has to its employees uh, that they can travel safely to their destination, be safe while they are there and return home safely. Uh, and right now, unfortunately, we don't have the clarity about when travel restrictions will be removed. When they are removed, it's very possible that certain regions may, be, uh, may have their restrictions lifted before others. For example, if the U.S. is still considered a hot zone, some countries may say we don't want U.S. visitors, whether they're business or leisure travelers, coming here. Others may say we will only let residents in from certain states that are, have proven that they've successfully managed to flatten the curve of the virus in their, in their states or their communities. So I'm anticipating a very rocky, a very uneven recovery, and that's why I think business travel will be slow to recover. When it does start to recover, it will be the individuals who are traveling. Uh, I don't think you will see meetings and conventions and conferences come back for several years. Again, uh, not until we have a virus, because I think the last thing we want to do is find ourselves in a conference hall with hundreds or perhaps many thousands of people we don't know. Not that we don't want to do the networking, but until we have certainty over everyone's health status, it becomes an uncomfortable and potentially uncertain environment from a health standpoint. One question. This is actually from Prabir Ganguly, my friend from uh, Etihad Airways. Ah. And I think it goes back to what you talked initially, what we can learn from this crisis. And you talked about agility and be more agile and uh, quick to plan fleets and all other things. Mm -hmm. He's asking, who do you think will emerge as a winner in this post-pandemic era and why? So the winners will be the companies, and it will be both airlines and other parts of the air transport industry that keep a complete view of everything that they're doing, not just reducing their uh, operating and capital expenses, but 
you know, how are they taking care of the customer? How are they adjusting their fleet? How are they treating their employees? How are they taking care of them? Uh, if they have to do downsizing, are they doing voluntary programs versus involuntary layoffs? Um, how are they addressing the customer experience? How are they addressing their technology investments? And I know that's something that's particularly important to both you and me is talk because technology, I think, is going to play a central role in helping companies recover from a marketing and and business standpoint. So it's not just who has the biggest bank balance and strongest balance sheet. It's, you know, who really has kept the most comprehensive view of its business and is is doing the most comprehensive approach towards rebuilding itself when, when conditions allow reopening. We will talk about, uh, let's say, the digital and the e-commerce part of the transformation in the second part of this Q&A. But I agree, yeah, it's what we see also with our digital research and what I think is airlines will need to work, uh, especially airlines, when it comes on this e-commerce and digital side, will need to work smarter, be more data-driven and do basically more with less. So this is one thing that I think who will be able to do that and who will be able to uh, transform to do that will come on on top. Okay, uh, one maybe last question in this uh, high-level industry overview. Uh, this is from Federico Saponaro from Air France KLM. He's asking, Maybe this ties into the winners and uh, who will come on top and the impact on the industry. What will be the impact of the state aid for the companies and the entire industry? What will be the impact of the state, state aid? aid? So ah, for, uh, yes. for carriers. So, yeah, no, no, no. I think that, look, it, this crisis was nobody's fault. Um, state aid is essential to keep airlines going. I mean, I think what's What's interesting is, is that airlines have for decades been the industry people love to hate. But a crisis like this, or 9-11, for example, wake people up to the absolutely essential nature of what it is airlines do. That you know, we are the industry that helps transport not just people, but an awful lot of the goods we need to live our lives. And right now, there have been many stories written of airlines around the world transforming passenger aircraft into cargo carrying planes to help move items, including essential medical goods like PPE, around the world to the people who need them. So... Uh, state aid is critical. Airlines are large employers, and through them is indirect employment. They generate uh, cash for their countries. They are the catalyst for business and for tourism. So the state aid is critically essential. The challenge is how is that state aid applied? Is it for example, to help keep empl people employed and to help pay wages, uh, or is it operating uh, capital or both? But I think that what uh, will be interesting is once the aid is provided, how do the governments that provided it manage this? Will they be, if you will, silent partners? Will they, they be more passive? The last thing we want is for governments to start meddling in how our industry does business in ways that don't matter. But at the same time, governments also have provided their taxpayers money to airlines. So there will be a lot of consumer pressure on them. Right now, one of the hot topics that's being debated is blocking middle seats. And short term, there may be a need for this to create confidence among travelers when non-essential travel is allowed to resume. That it's part of the steps that airlines are taking to help keep people safe from a health standpoint. But we know long-term that that is simply not economically sustainable, not if passengers want the low fares that they love and crave. So the last thing we want is for governments to say airlines have to leave middle seats open long-term. But there may be a compromise where the governments say, look, we would encourage you to leave middle seats open to create the confidence And then once people get accustomed to this, you can start to fill the middle seats. We'll have to figure this out. But but the state aid is essential. Without it, I'm worried that we'd see a lot of airlines shut down 
uh, the economic carnage would be far worse than it it may end up being. You mentioned the middle seat and it's good because now it transitions to the, let's say, more product part of this Q&A. And there were two questions actually from Christopher Stubb and uh, Prabir uh, about the middle seat. In terms of the product, and let's say it ties out also a little bit to ancillary product because we saw that on the middle seat cases that Frontier tried to do it as a ancillary and it backfired because I think it was too quick. Correct. What are some other things that you see on the ancillary front? I, I saw in your one of the last presentations that you say that ancillaries will be, it will actually not change. So will be one area where airlines will focus. Do you see any major shift here or just airlines trying to figure out some new product uh, tied to new behavior or new, let's say, new restrictions that the virus situation will bring? How do you look at that? Well, I think that, that you know, I, I like Frontier's idea of selling an empty middle seat, but it was just not the right time to do that now. That's something that maybe in a few months when things have normalized here in the U.S. Uh, and for that matter, elsewhere, that airlines can look at to generate empty rev additional revenue and monetize the empty seat uh, if, if they have it. I think that that... Again, we know long-term airlines can't operate with an artificial cap of selling just 60% or so of the seats on an airplane, uh, unless we want to go back to very expensive air transportation. That was the case before the industry globally deregulated. What I would say is in terms of ancillaries, they're going to be critically important because uh, that's high margin revenue. And if we focus on selling people the things that they like, value, and can afford, Again, using the technology, using the data that we have about the customer uh, and whatever other insights we have, then the customer doesn't feel that she or he is being nickeled and dimed, as the saying goes. Instead, they feel the airline is offering them good value. And again, this also speaks to the importance of the IATA NDC program, the IATA One Order program, and more. Last year, uh, 2019, we wrote a report for Enterprise Ireland, which is the Irish government's venture capital organization, if you will. And they have a lot of uh, travel tech companies in their portfolio. We introduced the concept of what we call complete retailing. If you think about it, airlines now have uh, or have access to the technology that they need to be able to sell a lot of third-party products. There are an awful lot of third-party businesses that can help airlines sell things, whether it's on the airplane or within the airline experience or off aircraft. So whether that's ground transfers, something that keeps the middle seat open, uh, camping, you know, reserving a campsite, you know, almost anything else, that now exists. So I think what airlines need to focus is to not only provide the value travelers want, but to strengthen the utility and appeal of their digital direct channels and to compete more strongly with third-party retailers, whether they are online or offline travel agencies, wholesalers or others. Expanding their ancillary portfolio makes sense. A, a year ago, some airlines would say, we can't consider an ancillary product that doesn't generate a million dollars or more in annual profit. Now, you may need to consider something that can generate even $50,000 or equivalent in profit because that $50,000 helps bring back one of your employees that was laid off. And if you have enough of those, then you are starting to make some meaningful contributions to the airline. And what's $50,000 or 50,000 euro uh, in profit today can grow over time and become half a million, a million or more in a few years with the right marketing. So ancillary becomes absolutely central to how airlines financially recover and frankly, how they can stand out uh, from one another in competing. This podcast is supported by Pros. Are you looking to optimize revenues across revenue management, retail and distribution? With more than 30 years of experience and a legacy in the airline industry, Pros provides AI-powered solutions that optimize selling in the digital economy. Pros customers, who are leaders in their markets, 
benefit from decades of data science expertise infused into our industry solutions. If you like this podcast, check out Pro's podcast, The View from 30,000 Feet, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Pro's website. Or visit the Resource Center at pros.com to access our special COVID-19 edition webinars and blog posts. Two things I would like to basically talk more here. First part was, okay, when we talked about the middle seat, and before we started recording, we were talking about different situations uh, in your, uh, where you're based in California and when I'm based in Slovenia, because I think we are in different US and uh, let's say my my country or my part of Europe are in different yeah. cycles of the virus. We have very low uh, cases and this is the first week when kids are back to school, cafes are open. And what I see basically is changing behavior because I think we as people, as soon as we think we are out of it, People were scared for a week, for at least scared for one month and were literally careful of all this social distancing. Now, when we had like two weeks of zero cases, people jumped back to previous behavior quite quickly. So there are again, cafes are, there is not that much difference. People are standing in line for pickup food. So I think when it comes to airlines, and I would like to your, uh, see your opinion on this and the middle seat, I think really when when in terms of auxiliary where people need to pay for it, that's when we will see how really behavior changed because a lot of times, even before in the low cost uh, airline world, people were saying they complained about a lot of stuff, but they were not willing to pay for it. So right. this is something that I'm really curious to see how these things will evolve because I think when we go back and when people are not thinking about this anymore, I think the middle seat might be for some customer segment quite a good ancillary product, but it's not like everybody will uh, want to pay for it. Absolutely right. And first, you're, you're completely correct. I mean, you know, this is going to be a very uneven level of recovery. And even it's not just the pace of recovery, but it's the emotional state of travelers when we come out of the recovery. Uh, and I think a lot will depend on where you live. Uh, not just your country, but where in the country. So in a big country like the U.S., when that's geographically uh, very large, uh, you know, some a person who lives in New York City, which has been the epicenter in the U.S. for this, may have a very different opinion or attitude towards things than somebody who's lived in a more rural part of the U.S. where this the virus may not have had as great an impact. We already see that just within California, for example, um, which is a large state with 40 million people and 58 different counties. Different counties have begun to open up uh, in different ways. So, so my expectation is that, yes, you know, some parts of the world are going to be months, maybe many months ahead of others in accepting different uh, social standards, if you will. And the airlines that operate there will will do so uh, as they deem best. An example is going back way back into the history books with no smoking regulations. Uh, Northwest Airlines was the first airline in the U.S. to ban smoking on its flights. But other airlines followed suit. And then, you know, the U.S. stopped it and then other governments stopped it. It wasn't a universal flash cut where as of a certain date, all airlines stopped allowing smoking on their airplanes. So I think that we will see the selling or the monetization of the middle seat, whether it's a full seat or an empty seat, differ country to country, airline to airline, and in a free market economy, that's as it should be. And I think this ties very well to what you were saying before, agility and digital capabilities and NDC capabilities. One thing that we advise airlines also in our research and report is this one size fits all approach won't work anymore. So we need to go into more agile custom, uh, let's say offers, custom pricing, uh, uh, personalized offers, personalized pricing, especially for airlines that uh, are global, that work on different markets, different countries, they will need to be able to price this product differently or even on some routes have it as a default setup and on summers and ancillary. So I think this agility is something that when you will be able to react and recognize these market conditions to be able to implement and commercially execute in practice. You are correct. I mean, anyone who's tried on a one size fits all 
pair of pants realizes that they don't fit everybody. And, you know, Especially now in the, after the quarantine. <laughs> right, right. And so, so, you know, I think that, you know, you talked about ancillaries, how airlines choose to price, what they charge, um, whom they charge, recognizing that they're frequent flyer programs, elite tiers, all of that corporate accounts and more. Uh, uh, will vary and and it it needs to be individualized because airline A is different from airline B even within the same country even within the same type of business model um, you know network airline to network airline ULCC to ULCC so as my mother used to tell me when I was a little boy growing up and I wanted to do something uh, that my friends did well if you saw your best friend jump off the Brooklyn Bridge uh, would you jump off after him. And, you know, you know that the answer, of course, is is no. So just because an airline is or isn't doing something doesn't mean another airline should or should not do the same thing. They have to know okay. their customers and they have to be true to them. And to your point, ULCCs know that most of their customers value price above all. They can. I think it's great to offer something for sale, provided the product is relevant and the price is reasonable. It's up to the customer to choose what they will spend their money on. And one thing our research has shown is that travelers have two wallets. Uh, there's the primary wallet we use, which is the baseline budget for a trip. And there's a second wallet. Uh, that's money that might be personal or from a separate fund or something like that, a separate budget that we use. Then that's what we spend on ancillaries. So if you are a good retailer, as an airline, if you know your customers, if you're using your data, if you merchandise your products in the right way with well-written copy and good visual content, and you have the right offer appearing on the right channel at the right time, then you have a better chance of closing that sale. One behavior or let's say change in behavior potential that I want to discuss, and this is actually also a question from another friend of the program, Amit Sagi, he's a CDO at El Al Israel Airlines is this shift that we see. And I saw data from the Bank of America that e-retail growth, so penetration for retail in the last 10 years uh, in US was from 5% to 15%, so like 10% growth. Mm -hmm. And now in the last eight weeks, it went from 15% to 27%, so almost double. Is this an opportunity for airlines? Because I think new people uh, will be new demographic groups like elderly people and uh, let's say some ethnic groups where internet uh, infrastructure wasn't as developed are now exposed to this online shopping. Do you see this as an opportunity as an airline? Will there be a shift between direct and indirect for airlines, especially from the legacy airlines that historically wanted to increase their share of direct sales? Absolutely. So, so you know, what's interesting is is that overall uh, uh, digital has grown as a percentage of an airline's uh, uh, distribution share, and certainly in the U.S., it's it's you know extremely large in the U.K. Uh, in China uh, and elsewhere, where e-commerce has been more widely adopted uh, than perhaps in some other countries. But absolutely, this crisis will be a catalyst uh, uh, for further adoption. Now, I'll go back to 9-11. Uh, I was a new analyst at Forrester at the time. And there had just been this, this convergence of things that had come together uh, including uh, critical mass of residential high-speed internet service in the U.S. Uh, and airlines improving their booking engines and having made started to make some significant investments in their uh, e-commerce uh, capabilities when 9-11 hit. And uh, what we saw is that there was a catalyst after 9-11 for people to start shopping for flights online as airlines cut staff, cut back on their reservation staff, uh, and continue to offer some incentives to people to book online. Uh, and that was the beginning of the hyper growth in airline uh, e-commerce. Uh, as an industry worldwide, travel is uh, uh, the second largest, uh, believed to be the second largest category in online sales. The only category that exceeds Travel is, believe it or not, adult entertainment. 
So, but you know, travel has been doing e-commerce now for 20 years uh, or more. Remember, Alaska Airlines actually had the first transactional website, which launched in 1994. So we've we've been doing this for quite some time. I think what's really interesting, though, is that uh, airlines which may have felt the travel agency channel was too important now recognize that it's not just cost that can uh, is why they should invest in their digital channels. It's the customer. The, the direct contact. The direct contact. And absolutely, people will emerge from this with much greater understanding of transacting online, comfort with transacting online, uh, and willingness to transact online. The challenge for airlines, though, is are we doing as good a job in helping people buy what they want as their favorite retailers are? Do we make discovery as easy as it needs to be? Do we have the forms of payments that travelers prefer to use? Um, can you shop outside of the traditional origin destination uh, start date, return date for boxes? Do we help people shop based on their interest, their budget, uh, or other things that are more emotional uh, uh, and frankly mirror the type of conversations they might have with an airline call center agent or a travel agent. Just one thing to add, I don't know if you saw recently, there was a McKinsey report about recovery and uh, insights in China. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that goes well with what you say is, okay, one thing is the new groups that we talked about will be exposed to online shopping, but what they see in China is less group travel and more individual travel in the short yes. term. So, so yes. people will want to be, do more stuff individually. Will be, so this, I think, is another opportunity going back to building your own digital presence. Right. But this tied to one thing that you talked, uh, in, again, in one of your past presentations, and it's also a question from Remus Moraru, again, another subscriber and a friend. Uh, he's in charge of digital optimization at Vizair. And he's asking about this paradox. So we are talking airlines should be go even more all in in digital. And before the crisis, we saw a lot of investment in digital teams, internal developments. But what you are talking is also the IT debt that airlines have. And especially what we saw, see now, there will be a lot of downsizing, a lot of cost cutting, and a lot of these digital teams will be cut. How do you see a, this, let's say, catch-22? How can airlines get out of this? On the one hand, needed to invest even more into digital and e-commerce, but on the other hand, with lesser resources. You know, it is 2020, and any airline that isn't investing where it needs to uh, in its digital future is cheating itself of its ongoing future. You know, I, I recognize that this crisis requires shared sacrifice across all departments. Uh, and in the past, uh, in certain downturns or slowdowns, investment in digital has perhaps not been cut as much as elsewhere in an airline because airlines have recognized that uh, the, the digital is, is critically important. When, when you see your demand fall by 90, 95, 97%, you have to cut everything. You're cutting capital expense, operating expense, headcount. So airlines cut back on IT. Contractors were shown the door. And what concerns me is that at a lot of airlines, they, are, they make extensive use of third-party organizations to uh, do the work primarily because of uh, cost. I think airlines need to really re-examine this going forward and see if it doesn't make more sense to hire more full-time employees who are dedicated to the airline. But we absolutely have to prioritize uh, investment in technology because that is going to be a critical way for how airlines bring the customer back and how the customer importantly wants to shop and buy their travel. And if, if an airline isn't offering a digital experience that is as good as, as convenient as, as intuitive as uh, third parties, it will lose to the third party, whether it's an online or offline third party. If the airline doesn't make its online presence as easy and pleasant and enjoyable 
to use as its call centers, then it will continue to drive people to its more expensive call center channel. So it's essential that uh, IT and digital commerce be supported, although obviously it has to be done in a way that is fair and that respects the, the need to invest in multiple different areas, whether that's maintenance or on board uh, the pass, you know, the airplane, the passenger experience, marketing, uh, um, or or any other part of of the the airline. There are even tools that the airport staff may need from a digital standpoint. For example, biometrics, which support a contactless boarding experience, but which are very expensive that a credible argument can be made, this is more important for us than something to do with improving our digital commerce. I think here, Henry, this was a good point, and it's also something that we exposed, or I exposed in the new report that we'll do, the first airline digital optimization researches. So one trend is, yeah, this growth in, let's say, in online shopping, but the second one, I think it's, and it's a huge opportunity for airlines, is this self-service touchless, let's say, mindset that we are now and i think a lot of airlines again struggled to automate some of the things like even web check-in or uh, self uh, uh, let's say baggage drop self-service and things like that so i think this now will be the opportunity to do this automation in some areas and optimization and even to do this uh, to build these new digital touch points that will not only reduce costs but i think also improve uh, customer experience you are absolutely correct yeah mobile biometrics but also customer insights data warehouses you know data lakes the use of machine learning um, uh, all of that can be used to improve the airline's digital efficiency one thing i mentioned it before that I see, and I think it's now really a high time with airlines is we need to be smarter at this stuff, at marketing, at using data, at e-commerce, at digital optimization. As I said before, we need to do more with less. So I read uh, for uh, a Forbes research that said that companies that apply this data-driven approach to marketing and e-commerce have six times higher ROIs. And this is, I think, where the opportunity is, how we can do more with less. So I think it just needs to be uh, a little bit more smarter and much more data-driven when we do this stuff. And maybe when you mentioned agility, I think sometimes smaller teams can be more connected and more agile because especially with huge airlines, what I see is a lot of silo departments like revenue management optimizing one thing, e-commerce optimizing the other, marketing the third. And sometimes it's not for the benefit of the customer. It's something that... I think Ronnie Kohavi, uh, head of data science at Airbnb, called uh, watermelon metric. You know, on the outside is green. When we optimize, it's all green, but in the inside for the customer is actually red. So this, I think, is something that we should be focused to have more like common end-to-end -end goals when we optimize and plan stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with that very much. I've said for a long time that silos are great for storing things like wheat and corn and grain, but they, <laughs> you know, they, they, they can choke uh, and be counterproductive in a complex organization like an airline. Silos are a function of, uh, you know, organizational mismanagement, organizational dysfunction. I'm, I'm a fan of smaller teams as well. For one thing, I think it keeps it just keeps us all busier uh, uh, and, and and that there's a greater need for us to know and be involved in what's going on in adjacent departments. But another thing that I've suggested to, uh, to uh, uh, not just airlines, but other uh, travel organizations with whom we, we work is that there be shared uh, goals and objectives across team. So, uh, you know, there may be corporate objectives. We want to increase our, you know, RASM by X percent, we want to improve our on-time performance by X number of points or whatever. Those are all fine and well and good. Then marketing has its objectives, revenue management and pricing have their objectives, network planning has its objectives and so on. What we need to do is say, okay, where are some uh, natural overlaps between departments? So let's just bring it back to ancillaries and e-commerce uh, and customer engagement. You know, revenue management needs to be gold on certain e-commerce success metrics 
and e-commerce needs to be, or digital commerce needs to be gold on certain revenue management performance objectives. So that way, everybody not only has skin in the game, uh, but that they are invested literally in one another's shared success. So if I'm only thinking about myself in my department and not my colleagues in other departments, ultimately it won't be as effective. But if I'm keenly aware that I have a responsibility, not just to my department, but to these adjacent departments, and they a responsibility to me and my department, then, you know, I think ultimately you have a better performing uh, business. And as I said, I think this is something that we'll need to change, especially integrating revenue management was historically like a separate unit, very technical. And I think will change a lot. because I was just listening to ex-head of data science of EasyJet, and he says that even before he hated forecasting, and now forecast will, because they're always wrong, and now forecasts will, you cannot do forecasts because the past data is so volatile, and we had this black swan event, it will be incredibly difficult to do any forecast. So what he was talking about is like more this agile, fast changes and reactions. So do some really good data analytics, predictive analytics, and react faster and tie this back to marketing. So automatically adjust campaigns, go to the markets where are opportunities and uh, agilely, uh, let's say, adjust the budgets accordingly. So this is something definitely that I think it's something that we can learn out of this crisis uh, as an industry. Very much so. Okay, Henry, uh, this was great. Uh, I think... We answered a lot of the questions, maybe not all directly as they were asked, but a lot of topics that were asked, I think we addressed most. I will leave some for some future podcast that I hope we'll do in some near future. But uh, before we end, just one question, because this is something uh, I really love, your Friday Twitter posts. Can you talk a little <laughs> bit about this cocktails? Yeah, no. <laughs> sure. No, this to me is like you said, we share this passion for the industry. And uh, now I get so used to this uh, post of your uh, Friday oh, airline my, aviation my cocktail. Yeah. So, so, so. Where is all the kids from? First, uh, this uh, question, where do you have all these kids from? Yeah. So, so I will, I will, I will just share. I am a huge uh, uh, av geek um, uh, and, and uh, fell in love with this industry as a boy uh, in part because of advertising and branding and, and all the things that we see on the surface. And I think that's a still very important part of what this industry is about. But over the years, uh, my father, who died when I was in university, but my father traveled a great deal on business uh, and would uh, uh, sometimes bring back a glass from the uh, uh, plane. And I guess I followed in his footsteps. And uh, on certain airlines, I will ask the flight attendant if I can have a glass as a souvenir. And nine, more than nine out of 10 times, they say yes. Uh, uh, so I just thought it would be fun since we can't travel uh, to start the Friday AvGeek cocktails. Uh, and I am by no means uh, an expert uh, mixologist, but uh, I just started doing that because I've got some glasses, you know, airline glasses that date back to the 1950s, I guess, that my dad uh, had uh, from even when he was younger. And uh, it's just fun. And that's all it, it, it really is. Um, I'm, I certainly don't create my own recipes. I go to resources like Punch Drink, uh, (laughs) uh, which is a very good website, BBC Good Food, Australian Bartender, uh, and others for for the recipes. And I do have a couple of friends who really are expert mixologists, uh, and they have shared things with me over the years. But it's just fun to to take that picture and and share it on a Friday, especially right now when we're all so stressed and uh, just remind ourselves that that there's a part of uh, our industry that is about fun, that is about enjoyment, um, and and to wish everybody well. And and I've got this. I wouldn't say it's large collection, but I do have a collection of airline glassware. Uh, so it's fun to pick a new one out. Um, and resurrect perhaps an old airline's uh, name and logo. Uh, we can all have some fun with it uh, and, and start the weekend. 
No, no, sure. And I would uh, suggest everybody to follow Henry's Twitter account, especially on Fridays. <laughs> That's probably the most useful thing I tweet. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, it's, it's the most entertaining, but <laughs> no, don't, I won't comment on the useful, but no, for sure, it's very entertaining. And sometimes... It opens even very uh, funny debates like we had with Mike Mike Sloan about who is doing, who is the real Texan and who knows the real margaritas, you know? <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I am half Texan. My mother uh, uh, was from Dallas. Mike is born in Texas, so I certainly wouldn't take anything away from Mike. I certainly will defer to Mike on, on I'm sure he has a much better recipe for a margarita than I I do. Uh, but uh, it is fun. And, and um, uh, like I said, it's just intended to provide uh, a little bit of, I think, some much needed levity at a time when we have a lot of sobering news and where our industry is not able to to do what it normally does, which is to bring people together and yeah. to serve our customers as, uh, you know, uh, the way we want to. Um, but um, anyway, I'm glad you enjoy it. And and uh, uh, like I said, it's, it's fun. And some of these old logos are just uh, great examples of almost timeless uh, uh, graphic design. No, and it, like you said, it's. I think this is what our industry in travel is basically about. It's, yeah. it's this passion and connecting people. And we see how small the world is. I, from the other side of the world, I really started to following uh, what's happening in Texas because I'm a huge basketball fan. And ah. we have our prodigy who is playing uh, in NBA for Dallas, uh, one of the Slovenian stars. So I know a lot. Of, all of a sudden, I'm a, I know a lot about Dallas and Texas. So this was <laughs> one of the bucket list, actually, bucket list trips to go there. All right. So, so, so having lived in Dallas, we will, uh, when we can travel, let's go. I will take you to some of my favorite barbecue restaurants. We will have a margarita and we will go to um, uh, a basketball game. Oh, that's no, that's a, that's a done deal. That's a, that's something that we'll do as soon as we'll be able to travel again. Yeah. Better yet, come to San Francisco though, because we have Napa Valley and Sonoma right nearby with wine, and 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 it's it's much prettier here than Dallas. <laughs> okay, okay, thank you. Uh, I will I will hold you for your words. So next uh, next trip in US, I need to really do that. Thanks for this chat. I think it was great. So I hope we answered most of the questions from the Digging Trail audience. And if not, I look forward to do this again sometimes in the future. So I do as well. Thank you for, ha for having me. This podcast is brought to you by digintravel.com. Digin Travel is your number one resource when it comes to airline and travel digital marketing and e-commerce. Visit digintravel.com to find the latest digital trends and white papers with in-depth airline digital benchmarks.